You guys know what's funny is I have to do the intro like five or six times because I get so nervous. Um, but it's I have all my shit laid out. Like I shouldn't be nervous when I do this, but yeah. So I get nervous when I'm recording. Okay, now that you guys know I'm terrified of, of recording my voice, we're just gonna go ahead and talk about the next book. We are doing Fight Club. Uh, everyone knows the movie. Before the movie, there was a book by Chuck Palachnik. Fight Club. And this is probably the only book in which the author went to the director of the movie and actually told him that the movie's ending was better than his. So, Mr. Pelagnik is awesome. Um, I love both of the book and the movie. It's amazing. Um, uh, it was banned for uh, mayhem, mischief, uh, detrimental to society. Pretty much anything that was in Fight Club is the reason it's banned. So, we're going to start. Alright, getting into Fight Club by Chuck Palutnik, Chapter 1. Tyler gets me a job as a waiter. After that, Tyler's pushing a gun in my mouth, saying the first step to eternal life is you have to die. For a long time, though, Tyler and I were best friends. People were always asking, did I know about Tyler Durden? The barrel of a gun pressed against the back of my throat. Tyler says, we really won't die. With my tongue, I can feel the silencer holes we drilled into the barrel of the gun. Most of the noise a gunshot makes is expanding gases, and they're a tiny sonic boom that makes the makes a bullet a little tiny sonic boom the bullet makes because it travels so fast. To make a silencer, you just drill holes in the barrel of a gun, a lot of holes. This is where the gas escapes and slows the bullet to below the speed of sound. You drill the holes wrong, and the gun will blow off your hand. This really isn't death, Tyler says. We'll be legend. We won't grow old. I tongue the barrel in my cheek, and I say, Tyler, you're thinking of vampires. The building we were standing in won't be here in ten minutes. You take a 98% concentration of fuming nitric acid, and add the acid to three times the amount of sulfuric acid. You do this in an ice bath, then you add glycerin drop by drop with an eyedropper, and you have nitroglycerin. I know this because Tyler knows this. Mix the nitro with sawdust, and you have a nice plastic explosive. A lot of folks mix their nitro with cotton, 
and add Epsom salt to the sulfate. This works too. Some folks, they use paraffin mixed with nitra. Paraffin has never, ever worked for me. So Tyler and I are on the top of the Parker Morris building with a gun stuck in my mouth and we hear glass breaking and we look over the edge. It's a cloudy day, even this high up. This is the world's tallest building and this high up the wind is always cold. It's so quiet this high up. The feeling you get is you're one of those little space monkeys. You do the little job you're trained to do. Pull a lever push a button. You don't understand any of it, and then you just die. 191 floors up, you look over the edge of the roof, and the street below is mottled with a shag carpet of people standing, looking up. Break the breaking glass is the window right below us. A window blows out the side of the building, and then comes a filing cabinet big as a black refrigerator right below us and a six-door filling cabinet drops right out of the cliff face of the building the drops turning slowly and drops getting smaller and drops disappearing into the packed crowd somewhere in the 191 floors under us the space monkeys and the mischief committee of project mayhem are running wild destroying every scrap of history that old saying, how you always kill the one you love, well look, it works both ways. With a gun stuck in your mouth and the barrel between your teeth, you can only talk in vowels. And we're down to our last 10 minutes. Another window blows out of the building and the glass sprays out, sparkling flock of pigeon styles and the, and the dark wooden desk pushed by the mischief committee emerges inch by inch by the side of the building until the desk tilts and slides and turns over end of end into a magic flying thing lost in the crowd. The Parker Morris building won't be here in nine minutes. You take enough blasting gelatin and wrap the foundations, columns of anything, you can topple a building anyone in the world. You have to tamp it good and tight with sandbags so the blast goes against the column and not out into the parking garage, round the column. This stuff, this how-to stuff isn't in any history book. Three ways to make napalm. First, you can mix equal parts gasoline and equal uh, frozen orange juice concentrate. Two, you can mix equal parts gasoline and diet cola. Three, you can dissolve crumbled cat litter in gasoline till the mixture is thick. Ask me how to make nerve gas. Oh, all those crazy car bombs. Nine minutes. The Parker Morris building will go over all 190 floors, slow as a tree falling in the florist. Timber. You can topple anything. It's weird to think. The place where we are standing will only be a point in the sky. And Tyler and me on the edge of the roof with the gun in my mouth wondering just how clean this gun is. We totally forgot about Tyler's whole murder-suicide thing while we watch another filing cabinet slip off the side of the building and the drawers roll open midair 
reams of white paper caught in the updraft and carried off the wind. Eight minutes. Then the smoke starts out of the broken windows. The demolition team will hit the primary charge in maybe eight minutes. The primary charge will blow the base charge. The foundation columns will crumble and the photo series of Parker Morris building will all go down in the history books. Five picture time-lapse series. Here's the building standing. Second picture. The building will be an 80 degree angle. Then 70, 70 degree angle. The building's at a 45 degree angle in the fourth picture when the skeleton starts to give and the tower gets a slight arch to it. The last shot, the tower. All 190 floors will slam down in, on the National Museum, which is tar Tyler's real target. This is our world now. Our world, Tyler says, and these ancient people are dead. If I knew how this would all turn out, I would have been more happy dead and in heaven right now. Seven minutes on top of the Parker Morris building with Tyler's gun in my mouth while desks and filing cabinets and computers meteor down on the crowd around the building. The smoke funnels out from broken windows and three blocks down the streets. The demolition team watches the clock. I know all of this. The gun, the anarchy, the explosion is really about Marla Singer. Six minutes. We have a sort of triangle thing going here. I want Tyler. Tyler wants Marla. Marla wants me. I do not want Marla. And Tyler does not want me around anymore. This isn't about love as in caring. It's about property as in ownership. Without Marla, Tyler would have nothing. Five more minutes. Maybe it would become a legend, maybe not. But I say, but wait, where in Jesus be if no one had written the Gospels? Four minutes, I tongue the gun barrel with my cheek and say, you wanna be a legend, Tyler, man? I'll make you a legend. We've been here from the beginning. I remember everything. Three minutes. Bob's big arms were closed around to hold me inside, and I was squeezed in the dark between Bob's new sweating tits that hang enormous, the way we think of God's as big, going around the church basement full of men each night we met. This is Art, and this is Paul, and this is Bob. Bob's big shoulders made me think of the horizon. Bob's thick blonde hair is what you get when hair cream calls itself sculpting mousse. It's so thick and blonde, and the part was so straight. His arms wrapped around me, Bob's palms, and my head against his new spread. New tits sprouted over his barrel dress. It'll be all right, Bob says. You cry now. From my knees to my forehead, I feel chemical reactions within Bob's burning food and oxygen. Maybe they got it all early enough, Bob said. Maybe it's just seeing, seeing Noma. 
Sienoma, you have almost a hundred percent survival rate. Bob's shoulder inhaled themselves up in a long draw and then drop, drop, drop in, a, in jerking sobs. Draw themselves up, drop, drop, drop. I've been coming here every two, every week for two years, and every week Bob wraps his arms around me and I cry. You cry, Bob says, and inhales and sobs and sobs. You go on now and cry. The big wet face settles down on top of my head and I am lost inside. And that is when I'd cry. Crying is the right at the hand in the smoldering dark, closed inside someone else's. When you see how everything you could ever accomplish will end up in the trash. Anything you're ever proud of will be thrown away. I'm lost inside. As this is this is as close as I've ever been to sleeping in almost a week. And this is how I met Marla Singer. Bob cries because six months ago his testicles were removed. Then the hormone support therapy. Bob has tits because his testosterone ration is too high. Raise the testosterone level too much. Your body ups the estrogen to seek balance. This is when I'd cry. Because right now, your life comes down to nothing. Even nothing. Oblivion. Too much oxygen and you get bitch tits. It's easy to cry when you realize that everyone you love will reject you or die. On the long enough timeline, the survival rate for everybody drops to zero. Bob loves me because he thinks my testicles were removed too. Around us in the Trinity Episcopal basement with the thrift store plaid sofas are maybe 20 men and only one woman. All of them clung together in pairs, most of them crying. Some pairs leaned forward, heads pressed ear to ear the way wrestlers stand, locked. The only, the man with the only woman plants his elbows on her shoulders, one elbow on the side of her head, and her head between her hands, and his face crying against her neck. The woman twists off to one side and brings her hand. Her hand brings up a cigarette. I peeked out from under the armpit of Big Bob. All my life, Bob cries. Why I do anything, I don't know. The only woman here, remaining men together, the testicular cancer support group. This woman smokes her cigarette under the burden of a stranger and her eyes come together with mine. Faker, faker, faker. Short mat black hair, big eyes in the way they are in Japanese animation, milk skin, thin buttermilk sallow in her dress with a wallpaper pattern of dark roses. This woman was also in my tuberculosis support group Friday night. She was in my melanoma round table Wednesday night. Monday night, she was in the part of my Fermilever's leukemia rap group. The part down the center of her hair was as crooked as a lightning bolt of white scalp. When you look at these support groups, 
They all have vague, upbeat names. My Thursday evening group for blood parasites is called Clear and Free. Group 1 go to for the brain parasites is called Above and Beyond. On Sunday, at remaining men together in the basement church of Trinity Episcopal, this woman is here again. Worse than that, I can't cry with her watching. This should be my favorite part, being held and crying with Big Bob without hope. And we all work so hard all the time. The only place I could ever relax and give up. This was my vacation. I went to my first support group two years ago after I had gone to my doctor about insomnia. Again, three weeks and I haven't slept. Three weeks without sleep. Everything becomes an out-of-body experience, the doctor said. Insomnia is just a symptom of something larger. Find out what's actually wrong. Listen to your body. I just wanted sleep. I wanted little blue amatol sodium capsules, 200 milligram size. I wanted red and blue tunio bullet capsules and red lipstick, red seconals. My doctor told me to chew valerian or get more exercise. Eventually, I'd fall asleep. The bruised old fruit way my face had collapsed. You would have thought I was dead. My doctor said if I wanted to see real pain, I would spend, swing by the first Eucharist on Tuesday nights, see the brain parasites and the degenerate bone diseases and the organic brain dysfunctions, see the cancer patients getting by. So I went. The first group I went to, there were introductions. This is Atlas, this is Brenda, this is Dova. Everyone smiles with that invisible gun to their head. I never give my real name at support groups. The little skeleton of a woman named Chloe with the seat of her pants hanging down sad and empty. Chloe tells me the worst thing about her brain parasites was nobody would have sex with her. Here she was, so close to death that life insurance policy had paid off with 75000 bucks, and all Chloe wanted was to get laid for one last time. Not intimacy, sex. What does a guy say? What can you say? Mean. All of this dying had started with Chloe being a little tired, and now Chloe was too bored to go in for a treatment pornographic movies. She had pornographic movies at home in her apartment. During the French Rev Revolution, Chloe told me, the women in prison, the duchesses and baroness and marquise, whatever, they would screw any man who'd climb on top. Chloe breathed against my neck. Climb on top. Pony up. Did I know? Screwing past the time. La petite mort, the French call it. Chloe had pornographic materials, and if I was interested, amyl nitrate, lubricants. Normal times I'd be sporting an erection, but our Chloe, however, is a skeleton dipped in yellow wax. Chloe looking the way she is, I am nothing. I'm not, I'm not even nothing. Still, Chloe's shoulder pokes at mine when we sit around in a circle on the shag carpet. 
We close our eyes, and it's Chloe's, Chloe's turn to lead us in guided meditation, and she takes us to the Garden of Serenity. Chloe walks up the hill to the place of the seven doors. Inside the palace where there were there seven doors, a green door, yellow door, orange door, and Chloe talked us through opening each door, the blue door, the red door, and the white door, and finding what was there. Eyes closed, we managed our pain as a ball of white healing, light floating up around our feet and rising to our knees, our waist, our chest, our chakras were opening, the heart chakra, the head chakra. Chloe talked us into caves where we met our power animal. Mine was a penguin. Ice covered the floor of the cave, and the penguin said, Slide. Without any effort, we slid through the tunnels and galleries. Then it was time to hug. Open your eyes. This, is, this was therapeutic, physical contact, Chloe said. We should all choose a partner. Chloe threw herself around my head and cried. She had strapless underwear at home and cried. She had oils and handcuffs and cried as I watched the second hand on my watch go around 11 times. So I did not cry at my first support group two years ago. I did not cry at my second or third. I didn't cry at blood parasites or bowel cancers, organic brain dementias. This is how it was with insomnia. Everything is so far away. A copy of a copy of a copy. Distance. Insomnia distance of everything. You can't touch anything and nothing can touch you. And then there was Bob. The first time to testicular cancer. Bob the big moosey. The big cheese bread. Moved on top of me and men remaining together and started crying. The big moosey tread right up across the room when it was hug time, his arms at his side, his face rounded, his big moosey chin on his chest, his eyes already shrink-wrapped in tears, shuffling to his feet, knees together, invisible steps. Bob slid across the basement floor to heave himself on me. Bob pancaked down on me. His big arms wrapped around me. Big Bob was a juicer, he said. All those salad days on Dynaball and then racehorse steroid Wisterol. His own gym. Big Bob owned a gym. He'd been married three times. He had done product in, uh, endorsements. I had even seen him on television. The whole how-to program, express expanding your chest, was practically his invention. Strangers with this kind of honesty make me go a big rubbery one. And you know what I mean. Bob didn't know. Maybe only one of his whoever's ever descended, and he knew that this was a risk factor. Bob had told me about the post-operative hormone therapy. A lot of bodybuilders shooting up too much testosterone can get what they call bitch tits. I had to ask what 
Bob meant by whoever's. Whoever's, Bob said. Gonads, nuts, jewels, testicles, bobs. In Mexico, where you buy your steroids, they call them eggs. Divorce, divorce, divorce. Bob said, and he showed me a wallet photo of himself, huge and naked at first glance, in a posing strap at some contest. What a stupid way to live, Bob said. But when you're pumped and shaved on stage, totally shredded with body fat down to about 2%, and diuretics leave you cold and hard as concrete to the touch, you are blind from the lights. You are deaf from the feedback of the sound system until the judge orders extend your white right quad, flex and hold, extend your left arm, flex the bicep and hold. This was better than real life. Fast forwarding, Bob said, to cancer. And then he was bankrupt. He had two grown children that won't return his calls. The cure for the bitch tits was the doctor had to cut under my pectorals and drain away fluid. This was all I remember because Bob was closing in on me with his arms and his head was folding down to cover me and I was lost inside oblivion, dark and silent and complete. And when I finally stepped away from his soft chest, the front of Bob's shirt was a wet mask of how I looked crying. That was two years ago, my first night at men, remaining men together. I've been to almost meeting ever since. Big Bob has made me cry. I never went back to the doctor or chewed valerian root. This is freedom. Losing all hope was freedom. I didn't say anything. People in the group assumed the worst. They cried harder. I cried harder. I looked up into the stars and you're gone. Walking home after a support group, I felt more alive than I had ever felt. I wasn't host to any cancer or blood parasites. I was the warm little center of the world, crowded around, and I slept. Babies don't sleep this well. Every evening I died, and every evening I was born, resurrected, until tonight. Two years of success until tonight, because I can't cry with this woman watching me. I can't hit bottom, because I can't be saved. My tongue thinks it has flopped wallpaper, and I'm biting inside the inside of my mouth so much I haven't slept in four days. With her watching... I'm a liar. She's a fake. She's the liar. At the instructions tonight, we introduced ourselves. I'm Bob. I'm Paul. I'm Terry. I'm David. I never give a real name. This is cancer, right? She said. And then she said, well, hi, I'm Marla Singer. No, no one ever told Marla what kind of cancer. We were all busy cradling our inner, inner child. When the man still crying against her neck, Marla takes another drag of her cigarette. I watch her from behind, between Bob's shuddering tits. To Maria, I'm a fake. The second night I saw her, I couldn't sleep. Still, I was the first fake, unless maybe all of these people are far above. Faking with their lesions and their coughs and their tumors. Even Big Bob, the Big Moosey, the cheese bread. Would you just look at his sculpted hair? Marla smote 
droops and rolls her eyes now. At this one moment, Marla's lie reflects my lie, and all I can see are lies. In the middle of all their truth, everyone clinging and risking to share their own worst fear that death is coming on and the barrel of the gun is pressed up against the back of their throats. Well, Marla is smoking and rolling her eyes, and me, I'm buried under a sobbing carpet of all, and all of a sudden even death and dying rank right there with plastic flowers on video as non-event. Bob, I say you're crushing me. I only try to whisper. I try to whisper, but then I don't. Bob, I try to keep my voice down when I'm yelling. Bob, I have to go to the can. A mirror hangs over the sink in the bathroom. If the pattern holds, I'll see Marla above and beyond the parasitic brain dysfunction group. Marla will be there. And of course, Marla will be, and what I'll do is I'll sit next to her, and after the instructions and guided meditation in the seven doors of palace, white healing ball of light, after we open our chakras, when it's time to hug, I'm going to grab the little bitch, her arms squeezed tight against her sides, and my lips pressed against her ear, and I'm going to say, Marla, you big fake get out this is the only one real thing in my life and you're wrecking it you big tourist the next time we meet i'm gonna say marla i can't sleep with you here i need this get out